Wow. That was good. Um, thank you, guys. Um, Jennifer and Jonathan and Warner, man, that's... Uh, um, I will, I will tell you, you know, there's songs that you hear on the radio and you're like, man, that's a good one. Um, and you guys are going to hear beeping. Uh, that's the CrossFit next door. That's their, uh, you know, what is that called? Their timer thing. Um, so anyway, usually they don't have uh, a class right now, but apparently they do this morning. <laughs> um, but, um. I mean, how incredible! And and I, I guess I guess I just want to ask, like, like you you you've sang these words, right? Like you you know these things to be true in in your life. And this morning we're going to be talking about exactly that: what God does in the midst of of life. And the question that I want you to be thinking about is. Watch yourself. All right. <laughs> Am I on this now? Whew, look at that smooth transition. Thank you, Warner. Um, do your friends know? Do your neighbors know? Do you, does your family know that God does those things? Because we do. And we sit here and we, we play this game of, like, you know, the, I don't know if I want to say something or do I say something or, right, there's this hesitancy, there's this, this hesitation, this fear. But you guys, like, the world needs to know this because he's the only one who can. And you guys know him. I mean, if, if you in here are a follower of Christ, you know him. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ in here, I, I just want to tell you, like, like we're going to be going through this, and he is the only one who can. Because this world is just as chaotic. There is just as much suffering for those inside the walls of the church as those outside the walls of the church. It's the same, right? And you know this. And you, and you have friends at work, and they're going through it, and you're going through it, and they go, I'm going through it, and we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, right? I'm going through it, but then I get to go party and, and have some fun, right? And, and I go arm myself with these worldly things, and that's how I balance these things, because they go, I don't understand, what, if we're all going through the same thing, what's the difference? Why would I choose to do what you're doing? Why would I choose to follow Christ? And all we can do is point to He's the only one who can change a grave into a garden, who can turn a sea into a highway, who can raise up dead bones into an army. Like, this is our God, and, and that means that in the midst of your suffering and in your frustrations and in your difficulties, he is working and he can do amazing things, and he intends to do amazing things. So that song was pretty much my sermon, honestly, and I didn't even know we were going to be playing it. But um, it's beautiful, and our God is amazing. And so I want you to be thinking about this. Do they know? Does the world know? This is why it's called the good news. This is why it's called the gospel. It's because it's good news 
to the world. Let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much that you are this powerful, that you love us in a way that is unfathomable, and that you care for us, and that you move in our lives. This isn't chaos, it's order, and it's purposeful. And that's our faith in you, Father, because we trust in you. And we know that as this life hands us different things, we know that you are conforming them all for our good and your glory. And we thank you for that. I pray that this morning as we open up your scripture that you would pierce our hearts, open our eyes, help us to see the way you see Help us to glorify you with our lives. And it's in the name of your son we pray. Amen. So I posted on the family page, and I got very little participation. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe we don't. Maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe that means everybody's not on social, social media. So what's your soundtrack? What's your, what is the song that's playing in the background of your life? That was the question. I got one answer. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate that. You guys just don't listen to music. Um, what, what, what's the song? Is it, is it an upbeat song? Is it, is it this, right? Like, again, I, I didn't, I, I didn't realize we were going to be playing that song, but like, is it that type of a song where you're like, man, there's, this is good? Or is it a dirge? Is it a song of mourning, of repetition, drab? What's our song? Because the good news is the first, right? Like, like we, don't, we aren't walking through life in mourning. We're walking through life in celebration. And so um, as we've been going through First Peter, we've been talking about this, right? Like how do we, how do we look at suffering in our lives? And, and here's, here's what I want to be really clear of. And Peter's going to roll through this. We're going to be in uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 this morning. So if you have Bibles, open them up. I've, we've got, also, if you haven't grabbed one, we only have this morning and one more morning on 1 Peter. But there's, um, there's little 1 Peter, 2 Peter, Jude, uh, kind of just note-taking Bibles up there. If you want to grab one of those on the way out, they're all free, so just grab one. If you haven't gotten one yet, take it home, and then you can read 2 Peter and Jude on your own time. Um, but this is what Peter is going to start walking through, and, and and what I want you guys to understand is that this is not just a reinterpretation of suffering. And we need to be careful of this. I'm not standing up here talking about, hey, just change the way you're thinking about suffering. That's not it. This is not self-help. Okay? This is a really important distinction that Peter is about to make here as we go through. This is not a self-help thing. I'm not sitting here going, well, if you think about suffering in this way, you know, like plug in your nose. My, my daughter's uh, taking... She, I'm going to embarrass her, but she doesn't take pills. Um, and so we, we, <laughs> we, we open the pills, and we put them in mashed potatoes and ice cream and stuff like that, right? She's going to kill me. I'm sorry, honey. I love you. She's at home, right? She got her wisdom teeth out. So, um, And I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that's where I was going with that. It was an analogy. Um, 
And so we, so we mix it up, and we're like, and she can still taste it. And Melissa's like, plug your nose. Plug your nose while you're eating it. That's not what I'm trying to, that's not what Peter's saying. He's not saying just like, plug your nose during your suffering, and, and think about it this way, and it'll taste good. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that intentionally, God has a specific purpose in this suffering in your life. And the same God that is judging all of creation in that suffering for us is, is a refining, a purifying. It's purposeful, it's intentional, it's, dare I say, good. And so that's what God is doing in the suffering, okay? So, so don't think of this as like God is just back there and like things are happening and we're just trying to change the way we think about things. That's not it at all. Okay, so we're gonna jump in and we're gonna read 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16, the verses will be on the board or on the TVs. And we're just going to read through this and we're going to back up at the end and kind of go back through. Actually, so here's, here's what I need you guys to do. And, and if you have a Bible, if you have a pen or a pencil, get it out. It's okay. If, you, if, you're, if you're digital, get, I don't even know how to highlight in there, but I'm sure you have some function of highlighting or whatever. Um, you're not going to be able to do the things I'm going to ask you to do with a highlighter, but, or a digital highlighter, but you know, maybe think about this or write it down, but all right, so here we go. That, he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Okay, what I want you to do is circle that word surprised, and I want you to put a line through it, because he says, don't be surprised, okay? We're going to come back to that, so just write that down. But rejoice, circle rejoice. Don't put a line through that. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Circle the word blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, circle ashamed, and put a line through that one, but let him glorify God in that name. So this is where Peter leads up. So, so you should have four things, and we're going to cycle back to these things at the end, because he's going to say, this is how you should be thinking. This is how you should be feeling. Because we're all feelings, weren't they? Right? And so this is how you should be feeling. And then he's in verse 17 and 18. He's going to say why, and so we're going to read through those. Verse 17, for, that's a connection. All of that, for, here's the reason. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be of the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter's talking, he, goes, he points to the judgment seat of God, which you go, I don't, I, I don't like those verses. <laughs> if judgment is going to begin with the household of God, we're going we're gonna to connect this back because I think Peter is looking at Jesus' words in John 3.16. You probably didn't think I was going to go there. 
Does everybody know what John 3.16 is? Probably. If you watch football, I'm sure you do, right? You ever read 17, 18, and 19? So here's what we're going to read. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We like that one. That's good. That's why everybody stops there. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Listen to verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. And because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. You see, that's what Peter's pointing back to, right? God's judgment, broad umbrella term of judgment, encompasses the rescue of us that trust in Christ and, by implication, the condemnation of those that don't. That's God's justice, right? There's, there's, God had a purpose coming into this world, and in that judgment, we who trust in Christ are declared What? righteous. And that's why it's, it, it makes sense. It is justice. You, God does not like not look at you, right? Like he's not like, well, you love me, and so I'm just going to ignore your sins. It's not what he does. He's a just God. He sent his son to die for those sins. And so you are now declared righteous. And so, and that's, and that's your rescue. That's our rescue, Right? For those of us who believe in Christ and trust in God, like that's what he's done. He has come down, levied his judgment all, on all of humanity. And to some, it's rescue. And to others, it's condemnation. And it, and it pivots on faith. It doesn't pivot on your righteous deeds or how good you are or how well you've succeeded in this world. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with our reliance on the Son of God, on Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so this is where he starts talking about this. And so the question then for us is, why does Peter's mind go, he takes this shift from suffering, and he's talking about suffering and how we should be thinking about suffering, and then he, and then he goes, for it's time for judgment. What's going on in Peter's mind? And look at what it says in verse 17. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. You see, the same suffering that we experience and that the world experience is used differently by God. Look at, go back to John 3, 19. It says, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so here's God, just like his judgment, his, his light shines. And our response varies based upon our relationship with God. I went through this with my wife, and, and she passed with flying colors. List a name, list an animal... If you turn on a light, it runs away. No, seriously. Thank you. Yeah, whoever said that? Yeah, that was exactly, yes, I went cockroach. Maybe that says something. Anyway, anyway. Um, okay, cockroaches, right? You turn on the light, and they're gone. 
This one, this one might be a little bit different. What's, the, what's an animal that when you turn the light on, it freezes? Deer. That's ex- yes. Man, this is great. <laughs> this is fantastic. This is all coming. There's one left. Thank you. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> nice work. What goes to the light? A moth. The same light. The same light. There's three different reactions. And those were the three that I came up with. So I'm pretty, you know, we all think the same way, right? But it's the same, it's the same thing with the judgment and suffering, right? Like, how do we experience that suffering based on our relationship with God? It, it, the same suffering now has meaning and purpose. It's significant in our lives. And Paul says this in Romans 8.28. probably familiar with this one. I, I quote it quite frequently because it's such an encouraging verse. 828 says, um, and we know that for those who love God, you hear that? For those who love God, this is, this is a, a specific group of people. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That means that, that your friends and your family and your neighbors that don't love God, and again, this is talking about a, a relationship, a reconciled relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's pointing to. If you have that relationship, all things work together for good. Actually, really, really. You guys believe that? Like, really? That's what he's saying. That means that that is not the case for those who do not trust in Christ. How sad is that? That means that the suffering that they're going through in in their mind causes them to freeze or run. It doesn't draw them. That's, that's scary. And that means that, that we, right, we go and we speak these words because if they trust in Christ, then all things will, will work together for good. Their suffering will now be purposeful. Just like that, they're being disciplined by their father. They're being purified, and refined. I know those don't sound good, but we all know that they're actually really good for us, right? You see, we were not children of God. In fact, we were enemies of God, the Bible tells us, right? And that when we trust in Christ, when we see what what Jesus has done for us, we become reconciled, not just reconciled, but like adopted children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like that, you went from an enemy to a child and a child that's an heir, an heir of the kingdom. Like, this is beautiful. And all of that, all of that in the midst of this suffering. But for those who don't, what is their suffering? Now, God uses it. God uses it to maybe 
wake them up and rattle them and right and cause them to, to recognize the, the hopelessness that is in this world, that there's nothing that is going to be satisfying and bring peace and contentment, right? He uses it in, in that respect. But it's very different. So that's why Peter says, if the judgment is going to start with us, he's pointing to our suffering now. And what's going to happen to our suffering? It's going to end. Right? It's going to end. But what's going to happen to their suffering? Those who never trust in Christ. It's going to be eternal. So what are we doing? If we know that God turns graves into gardens, if we know that he does all of these things that we just sang about, how are we not living on mission? How are we not speaking into people's lives? It's a beautiful thing. It's an opportunity. This is the purpose. This is why we've been created. And so this is why Peter, so remember, he goes, for all of this in judgment, right? Well, this way for you guys, right? He goes, for, and then everything else in verse 17 and 18. But prior to that, is all of these feelings and how we are supposed to think about our suffering and experience suffering. So we're going to step back through those. So go back to 1 Peter 4.12. He says, uh, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. What, what Peter is saying is, welcome suffering. Welcome it. In fact, the word here is actually like to, to treat suffering as, uh, as a friend, not a stranger. Like that's, that's the picture. Like somebody comes knocking on your door and you're like, oh, it's suffering. Come on in. That, this, this is how Peter treats this. This is how we should experience suffering because we know that it's for our good and God's glory. It's purposeful. It's disciplining, it's refining. Go back to Romans 8, 29. We just read 28, right? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He's talking about those who are, uh, that trust in him. He also predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's conforming us to the image of his son. He's changing us. That's, that's part of the suffering. It's to change us. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? To, to get rid of some pieces of our lives that we shouldn't have, to refine us, to redirect us, to discipline us, to show us, to conform us to the image of his son. Thank God he does this. But it's painful. But Peter says, welcome it. Welcome suffering. And so as we step through the next few of these things, I want you to be thinking about this. If you said that to people in your life, that don't know Christ, what would they think? Oh, I, I love suffering. I love it. How do we tell that to our kids? How do we show that to our kids? 
You see, these are gifts that God has given us. He goes, no, no, no. You should welcome suffering. Not a stranger. It's okay. And look what he says in uh, verse 13. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. What he's saying is, you're suffering, Christ suffered. It's okay. You're sharing in that. And he says that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see, this is one of the most beautiful parts of this. That as we suffer, what does that create in us? A longing. A longing for Christ to come back. A longing for this to be done. Here's the thing. Sometimes life is just firing on all cylinders. It's good. It's enjoyable. It's fun everything you ever wanted it to be. And then it's not. <laughs> and then it is again. And then it's not. God, God gives us those times. Like, th- those are genuinely good times. And I think he gives us this as like a taste of what's to come. Say, oh, you enjoy that relationship. Just wait. Oh, you enjoy the, the comfort of laying on a beach. It's comfortable. You don't have anything going through your mind. Just wait. You think that's good? Just wait till you're with him. You see, it, we, we reframe this. Like that's not, he doesn't give us these things, but he doesn't give us these things to, to replace him, but to create in us a longing for him. And suffering is the thing in particular that he uses to do that, to create this man. Like, I can rejoice in my suffering now because it's pointing to, to Christ's resurrection from the dead and a conquering of death and the grave and Satan and sin. And if God has conquered all of those things, he promises to conquer that for me too. And so we can rejoice. So when this person comes knocking on your door, right? And then you open it up, and you're like, oh, it's suffering. Come on in. This isn't even a hesitant come on in, right? This isn't like Cousin Eddie come in. This is, I'm rejoicing that you have showed up at my house, right? Like that's the picture that he's building here. And so we should rejoice in the suffering, Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You see, so when we're suffering, it's creating in us a longing and we can rejoice in it going, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be really good when all this is done. But in the meantime, come on in. Let's have some coffee. Let's rock and roll. That's what Peter is saying. Yeah, look at verse 14. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We are blessed by the Holy Spirit when we are suffering. Think of and this one, this is one we don't, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not a very tangible thing for us to, to kind of look at here, right? But 
Jesus says in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Why are you blessed when you're mourning? It's the same thing Peter's saying here. Because when you're suffering, when you know that he's the only one who can make a sea into a highway, when he's the only one who can raise dead bones, when he's the only one that can do these things in your life, man, it's, it's, it's in those times that, that those reminders fill us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is. That is why he was sent. That's why he dwells inside of us who call Christ our Savior. It's a beautiful gift, and it's not one that we really spend a lot of time talking about, and we really should, because the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. He reminds us of these truths when all we have going on in our mind is how horrible this is and how quickly I want to get out of it. That's the reality, right? You go, okay, here's suffering, going through it. Okay, I just need to, how do I get out of it? How do I stop the suffering? And the Holy Spirit reminds us, no. It's good. Enjoy it. Rejoice in it. Welcome it. This is what Scripture tells you. God's using it. Don't forget. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And he's beautiful. And he dwells inside of us and comforts us and convicts us and draws near to us. And Jesus says that when he leaves, he's sending the Holy Spirit to be with us forever. Like, this is, this is heaven that's deposited in us, you guys, for those that believe. And so you go to the world who doesn't know Christ, and you go, God's prepared to equip you, to help you endure the suffering, to help you, to help shape you and mold you and remind you of his love in the midst of this suffering. This is the God that wants to do this for you. And look at 15 and 16. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. There is no shame in our suffering. None. Now, perhaps it's shameful if you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, right? And there's, there's natural consequences to crimes, But for those of us who are children of God, even in our failures, there is no shame. Let me say that again. Even in our failures, our missteps, there's no shame. He says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. You're weak. It's okay. God knows this. God knows that we battle a sinful nature. God knows that we're not going to be perfect. Don't be ashamed of it. In fact, boast about it. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is one of the coolest sections of Scripture, I think. 
I think I say that too much, um, which means I guess I like the Bible. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Hang on. I'm in 1 Corinthians. <sighs> Whew. I've done that before. Um. Uh, there we go. All right, we're good, we're good. Second Corinthians, as I said. Second Corinthians 12, verse 7. This is Paul talking. He says, So to keep me from, being, or from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. We don't know what that was. But I think we can all agree that Paul was suffering. Regardless of what it was, whether this was something that he was doing, whether that was uh, a physical ailment that he had to deal with. We, we don't really know. There's a lot of conjecture about it. But it doesn't matter. He's suffering. He's suffering. And it says in verse 9, But he said to me, God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest Upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, there's no shame in it. We point to the cross. We go, yeah, I'm suffering, and I'm suffering because of this or that, or. But my God's doing it. And his power is made perfect in weakness. And so I'm going to boast. Because you know what? If we're all strong, impervious people, the world doesn't care about how great your life is. I mean, that's the reality, right? I mean, God, God's intention is not to make us into these like beautiful little pillars that like don't ever sin and, and, and we're perfect and we just walk around. I mean, eventually, right? He's conforming us to the image of his son, but, but he's not, that's not how we are to speak and live in this world. We are fallen. We are failures at times, but we are not shamed of our failures. In fact, we point to the cross and we go, he's redeemed this. He's reconciled me. I, didn't, I don't want to sin, but I know I'm going to. I don't want to pay for the consequences of my sin, but sometimes there are. But I don't want to hide that from the world. We don't want to hide that amongst each other. I want, I want to be able to boast about my weaknesses. I want to be able to say, and I, I don't have it all put together. I don't. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Where's the shame? It's gone. I will tell you, we live in a culture right now of shame. It's, it's miserable, especially for the youth. I feel bad for y'all. I don't know if I could have handled it. And the reality is, is that everything is pointing to us being ashamed of who we are, what we look like, or what we do, or what missteps we've made, or our personality, or our weaknesses. 
And what he says is that in your suffering, there is no shame. God loves you. And he's working in your life as a father, disciplining and refining us. You know, at the, at the beginning of 1 Peter, he uses that, um, that term, a fiery trial. It's actually one word in the, in the Greek, and it's, and it's this proving. It's, it's this picture of a refiner's fire. And you guys have probably heard this a bunch. Um, but like this, this idea that the same fire that burns away wood or burns away chaff refines gold, gets rid of the impurities. It's the same fire. It's the same judgment, it's the same suffering, it's the same all of this. The difference is, are we children of God? Do we trust in Jesus Christ? And that's what he says here in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust your soul. He's faithful. Underline that word, faithful creator. He's not faithless. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. Your suffering isn't pointless. In fact, your suffering is meaningful and purposeful and refining. And that's our God. That's what he does for us. And so the world, you guys, they don't know that. They don't. Because if they did, they'd, they'd be in here. They'd be in a church. They'd be worshiping God. Because if you, you can't read this, you can't know this, and not experience the grace of God. It's beautiful. It's change, it changes hearts. And we have friends and family and neighbors and all sorts of people and coworkers in our lives they just knew this. They just knew what God does for those who entrust their souls to him. What an amazing God we have. Let me pray.